0: Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Leese. We are back with another exciting episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast, which is sponsored right now by Lead 411 We really appreciate their support. Um, If you're looking for mobile phone numbers, which particularly in this present world, we all seem to be, check them out. They've also got some really cool intent data as well as a cool Chrome plugin. But uh, next, I want to move on to... uh, The other reason we're here, aside from our sponsors, is is you know we drop the bomb on BombBomb. Right? We've got Ethan and Ethan. I don't is it Butte, correct? All right, just like Butte, Montana, just spelled differently. That's all right. Welcome to the show. So thanks so much, guys. I appreciate
1: it. As a listener, it's fun to be a guest.
0: Yeah. So just you know, for context' sake, you know, tell people who you are, what BombBomb does, what's your role there, your title. So that you know, maybe what a sales cycle looks like there, so that as we have this conversation, they have context for where where some of your frame of reference is coming from
1: sure, absolutely again, uh, Ethan Butte title is chief evangelist, which could or could not be part of the longer conversation here uh, been with the team of almost nine years full time. We're a software company based in Colorado Springs. When I started, we maybe had seven or eight team members and about 100 customers. Probably half of them weren't even paying us anything. We just wanted, to would be like users. I guess they'd be users. Now I've got more than 55,000. We've got a team of about 150 people, primarily based in Colorado Springs. Customers are all over the world, primarily USA and Canada. Uh, and they range the full gamut from, you know, the sole practitioner, the solopreneur, the financial advisor, the sales coach, or consultant on smaller organizations up through we've got some Fortune 100 companies and pockets of those uh, organizations using BombBomb to get face to face. So that's what we do is we make it easy to record and send video messages. Um, you can use those messages across the entire customer lifecycle or across the entire employee lifecycle. Even though a lot of the conversation tends to be around sales prospecting in particular, um, and so we we equip people to do that in Gmail, in Salesforce, in Outreach, in Zendesk, in our own web app, in our mobile apps, etc. And uh, we're kind of OG in it. Uh, I wrote a book on the topic that we released last year. And the core of the team's been together for several years, just trying to help people be a little bit more personal and human.
2: That's awesome. Go ahead. I had no idea that, uh, you know, BombBomb had been around for, for so long. Um, nine years is a long time to work anywhere. Totally. That's, I mean, I, I don't see that almost ever anymore, you know, unless, yeah. it, uh, unless it's a, unless it's a founder. So the majority of your time there, you know, you were the VP of marketing and now uh spun off to this chief evangelist role. So I like probably 95% of the listeners want to know, and I know you wrote about this, so I'm teeing this up perfectly for you, hopefully. What the heck is a chief evangelist? What does it mean? What do you do? And how can I be when I grow up?
1: Cool, yeah. I mean, the essence of evangelism is obviously um, raising up the problem to the world at large. If you're innovating, and a lot of what I'm sharing here, I learned by having conversations specifically with uh, Sangram Vajray from Terminus, Dan Steinman, former chief evangelist at Gainsight, Guy Kawasaki, who is uh, chief evangelist at Apple, arguably the first ever chief evangelist and current chief evangelist at Canva. And uh, I got David Spitzky just reaching out to him cold on LinkedIn. He's the chief evangelist at uh, uh, Amazon for Alexa and Echo, the first employee in Voice. And I did essentially conversations like these 35 to 60 minutes long about what it means to do this role. And uh, Steve, my team member, co-author on the book and our CMO um, was just really excited about the idea. And we just decided that was the right thing for me to do Um, because I stepped away from the team for about four or five months uh, to write the book and to build a launch plan for it. And of course, any work that I was doing that was important, someone else picked up and was now doing. And any work that I was doing that no one picked up probably didn't need to be done because we got away without without it for four or five months. And so I knew I would have some space in my schedule. And so this confluence of um, the book project Interviewing these guys just kind of for fun and interest and uh, and starting our own podcast uh, just kind of made sense to go in that direction. So a few characteristics of a chief evangelist is obviously most common in software in particular. Uh, something that Dan Steinman said when I talked with him was – if you are innovating, you must be evangelizing. And I think we all know this intuitively. And part of what he also shared is you're probably evangelizing even if you're not doing it intentionally, even if you're not doing it with someone with a particular title, your founder or your VP sales or whoever you're putting on the stage at the next conference or whatever is doing some of the activities uh, that you might round up in one person and one title as well. And so, you know, innovation is obviously – solving a known problem in a new and better way, or solving a problem that people didn't know they had or solving a problem they knew they had that there was no solution for prior. And so when you think about what we're doing, and people are probably familiar with, uh, you know, video in a sales process in particular, I certainly uh, have heard you guys talk about it on this show before. And, um, you know, There's still a lack of awareness, shockingly considering how good internet connectivity and our cameras are in general, that more people aren't aware of it and participating in it because the benefits are so easy and obvious. Um, So it's really raising up this idea that so many of the touches that you're making are faceless. So many of them lack personality. They lack differentiation. Don't give me anything to attach to. I'm often being misread or misunderstood when I'm sending out all these text-based messages. And so... What I'm doing is hosting a podcast, guesting on podcasts, doing training and education, writing, working internally with our team on the real opportunity to help people essentially rehumanize their communication.
2: Can a, can a, uh, a former salesperson become a chief evangelist? Like what is the credentialing and the criteria? You know, does somebody have to come through, through marketing? Um, I definitely agree with you. I, I think one way or the other, all of us are evangelizing for our companies that we work for or even ourselves, frankly, as people are building brands and whatnot. So I think the line is is blurring or disappearing a little bit. I'm curious, you know, how, how would one move into this particular role?
1: Yeah, a couple of the characteristics specific to the way you teed that up was um, – you know, Dan Steinman came out of customer success, built that customer success organization in the organization that wrote the book on customer success and essentially defined the category. That's another thing related to this evangelism pieces. When you hear people start talking about category design, category creation, community building, evangelism is part of that. I don't know if it's a three-legged stool or a four or five-legged stool, but those are definitely three legs to the stool that are all kind of interrelated. And so uh, Steinman came out of customer success. Guy Kawasaki was a salesperson. Um, Singh Vajray was a marketing guy. And David Zbitsky was a developer. And he just happened to really enjoy the stage. He enjoys talking about what they're doing. Um, And so he's out there on social at events back when we could get together at events, now virtually on events. He's primarily talking with the developer community about all the new stuff that Amazon is enabling from a voice standpoint. He's talking to the marketing community about all the ways that other companies are using voice and voice opportunities to reach new audiences, et cetera. And so he's just the guy. If someone's like, oh man, I got a question about this. He's the guy that they're gonna find on LinkedIn or on Twitter to address it, to help it, et cetera. He also, of course, is out there taking some heat on some of this stuff too. I remember I tweeted him up and uh, got a, apparently there were a whole bunch of women named Alexa in the world that are really, really pissed That Amazon called it Alexa, and so they're like there. There's like a Twitter handle on it, and a bunch of other Alexas pile in. It's like that's so interesting. He probably takes that heat all the time. So really early in the organization. I mean, you said one of you said founder, and so these guys were all early stages. So was I. Again, um, you know, I've been with the team through 14x growth in employees and whatever x growth in customers and revenue. And so I have been here through all of the stages. I have been here when we were trying to figure out from the get go who are. Are we? What are we about? What problems do we actually solve? Why are people engaging with us? What do people ask us when we're on the Florida trade show? What is the potential of this market in general? Um, And so, I think being in early is another really good characteristic. And again, this desire to to really. work inside out and outside in, you know, going out and talking with guys like you. And when I hear stories and pick up anecdotes, anecdotes, bringing them back into internal conversations where people are sitting and poring over reports, how do we bring those to life? Obviously, customer conversations are a key to that. And so trying to stay in touch with what's going on in the market at large and bringing some of those kind of softer anecdotal things that are hard to bring up in a Salesforce report or a Tableau report to color these conversations as we're making decisions. And so um, being in the senior leadership team and team and being privy to all of the strategy and all of the conversation gives me perspective to, you know, share things within the employee community, as well as the broader customer community and potential customer community, obviously with discretion, but also to bring some of that feedback and questions and concerns and success stories back into those conversations as well.
0: So does the, does. You know, and I, you know, from what I understand, really, the evangelist is is a sole role. There's not an evangelistic department right you might get resources from marketing so i just want to make sure i understand that when- yeah
1: it was it, it is a free agent type of role and it's something that i was like really excited to do and kind of so i was glad when steve thought it was a good idea um and and one of the other characteristics then sorry to interrupt you on it but it's it's exactly what you're talking about it is a little bit of a free agency inside the organization and you typically like i shed direct reporting so I, no one reports to me directly anymore. I still have a lot of influence and, uh, and that type of thing. But um, it, it really is a privilege for a company to be able to afford it and for me to be afforded the opportunity. Um, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah. So I So I'm curious a little bit about the role and its dynamics with marketing and sales. Obviously, particularly since you came from the marketing side, I can see where that connection is. And I could see also if, if someone came from the sales side, you know, like Dan Steinman came from customer success, or revenue side um, and how that might align with sales. How does a chief evangelist align with the sales world?
1: Well, it's, I have a lot of conversations, particularly with the guy that runs our BDR team and the gentleman who runs uh, all of our salespeople. And we have, you know, what still some quasi inside sales rep roles in addition to kind of AEs and what used to be field reps uh, prior to the kind of the shutdown of everything. And uh, so I'm in regular conversation with those guys. I am oftentimes producing content. For example, um, I just finished writing. I still need to edit a bit of it, about a 25,000 word piece on the four stages of video adoption. Um, How does an individual or a a team within an organization successfully adopt video? And so, um, yeah, I collected a lot of feedback and information from sales and from CS, uh, both sides of the fence. In addition, it breaks into sections and, We can't, we don't have the resources to release all of it tomorrow. So if I was to release some part of it, what part of it would, would I release and be useful to you? What, if I could take, you know, any section of this guide that I've developed and offer it to you in a minimally viable way so that you could send it to prospects or to new customers, how would that be useful? And so I'm having these conversations with, uh, with BDRs, with AEs and try to, you know, the work that I'm doing, what would be useful to them? Another thing that I do is I, as I host uh, the customer experience podcast, um, especially when I have conversations, the two, the two great conversations for us from a sales standpoint are obviously somewhere in mid to high level management of sales. Sales teams need to be communicating in a more personal way. It's the reason we're all using Zoom and turning our cameras on because we want people to, feel like they know us a little bit more. We communicate more effectively that way. There's so much nonverbal communication, et cetera. Um, Likewise, a customer success leader is a great person for us using video in customer care, onboarding, account management, CSM type roles is super useful. And so whenever I have a podcast guest on, uh, and I release the episode, and it's super relevant to some of our ideal customers, um, I make sure to kind of tee it up with a little bit of light copy links to the episodes, etc. Give them some of the raw video clips that I cut out of it, um, that they might share with some of their prospective accounts as well. So I'm trying to find ways to make sure that what I'm doing is specifically useful from a revenue standpoint, uh, even though, I mean, you're not going to find any guide with metrics or KPIs or best practices on the chief evangelist role. So it is amorphous. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm comfortable you, I mean, in that.
2: Maybe, that. maybe that's the angle for you to go, right? Is like, how do we quantify our existence? I, yeah. I, I, know, I know, for example, people in sales operations roles still struggle with that. times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, they they you know, founders will be like, I don't understand the role. How do I justify the the spend? Tie it down to an ROI for me? Well, maybe you maybe you'll write the playbook on KPIs and metrics and the ROI of the uh the evangelist. But I want I want to shift gears for for a second here and and ask you a little bit, you know, maybe hopefully it's not too too tough, but maybe a little bit of a tough question. Um video prospecting is kind of all the rage right now, I would say on, on LinkedIn and, and, uh, you know, certainly like in B2B SaaS, but not very many people do it. And and I think a lot less people do it well right now. So what do you think it's going to take or how far away are we from that kind of buzz of video prospecting to become, you know, more of like the norm, like, 50% 50% of people are doing it or 75% of the people are doing, it. everybody's doing it the same way everybody does email and everybody uses the phone. How far away from that tipping point do you think we are? You've been at this for a long time now.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting and it's, it's a great question. It's a hard question to know. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Dan Tire at HubSpot, one of, like a longtime HubSpot guy, um, been in the sales community for a long time. And he said that uh, 2017 is going to be the year of video email. It didn't happen. Then he said, 2018 is going to be the year of video email. It didn't happen. And so he's like, I just stopped calling it. You know, there's no reason to to guess on that. And it's interesting. I actually think um, the way you ask that question is is what really, really motivates me. I, I look forward to a day when people would go to the record button in an unscripted, casual, conversational way, just as easily as they might peck out an email or pick up the phone or jump on a Zoom call or drop a LinkedIn message. That, it, that it's not a thing, right? That it's not a, a specific tactic. There's just something that we do. Just like a hundred years ago when the sales huddle broke up and all the salespeople turned around and there's phones on their desk and they're like, what the hell is this? And you're like, this is part of how you sell now. It's not the only thing you do. You're still going to handwrite letters. You're going to show up at people's offices. You're still going to hand out physical collateral. It's just part of what we do now. And like the phone, I mean, some of the skills are transferable. Some of them aren't. To your point of bad prospecting, there is horrible prospecting going on as we speak whether video's involved in it or not, and video isn't magic. You can't take garbage that you were doing before that's barely effective at these, yeah. horror, these low rates. Let's, put it in video, and then all of a sudden, it's going to magically be good.
2: So, can we sit with that for a second? What are like, yeah. what are like the top one, two, three things to avoid? Like, you've you've got our audience here, and you know you're a video prospecting expert. You've been working at this for a long time. Tell our audience the couple things not to do in video prospecting?
1: Yeah, uh, number one is read a script. Like I know that we want repeatable processes. We want to be able to judge the effect of the decisions that we're making, especially scaled across a team. Um, But this idea of reading a script is just a drag. It completely removes the purpose of the video in the first place, which is to offer a little bit of yourself and to build some of that psychological proximity simply through this exposure. It's really interesting. We're all about, I don't know, a foot and a half, two feet from each other's cameras. And so even though we intellectually know that we're just on a video call right now, there's something happening in our brains that we receive some of it as if we are in this close social space. And so that's what we're trying to build. We're trying to build some level of affinity and rapport, social reciprocity. And so the key to the social reciprocity component is is the same basics as any kind of personalization and relevance and targeting. Again, video or not video, you need to be obviously reaching out to the right people in a way that's meaningful. Again, saying a message uh, to somebody in a video is not gonna magically going to generate a reply if it's not a good fit, if you've not demonstrated any level of thought or care for them. um, That said, you do need to take care if you are doing that homework, right? Whether it's a five minute scan on a LinkedIn profile or whether it's um, some level of intent data uh, that you want to use as a reason to reach out to someone without being too revealing or creepy. um, Do not hide the fact that it is a truly personal video. I see this happen sometimes too. Some people are shooting out evergreen videos where they record it once and they use it over and over and over again for hundreds or thousands of people when they're at this particular stage. And that's cool. You can drop, say, a, a bomb bomb video into an outreach message and it's just going to go out on your behalf as part of the sequence. But you might also have in that sequence a trigger to record a truly personal video for somebody. And so... In that case, you need to take care to obviously use the subject line, use the first line of text. So this is something that people do that's, that's, a, that's a miss, that's a fail. They think that the video itself is going to get the entire job done. You can't just send a video on its own, especially in a cold situation, but I see it happen all of the time. And it's like, I don't know who you are. I don't really know why I got this. I have no idea what's in this video. In some cases, depending on what service you're using or a DIY solution, they might not have any idea how long the video is. And so I always encourage people any of this kind of, I'll just generically call it thought level. The thought or care that you're putting into the personalization or targeting or relevance components, generically speaking, they obviously need to be reflected in the subject line. They definitely need to be reflected in the first line of text. And you always need to include a line of text to tell someone what's in the video. Why should they watch the video? And, you know, we are still early enough stage that you're gonna get some plays just out of curiosity alone, like, oh, this is interesting because I talk to people every day, like I've never received one of these, right? So that novelty is still going to generate some plays, but use a line of text to tell someone what's in the video for them, whether it's fun and interesting and playful, whether it's a curiosity component, whether it's a straight value play. For example, I know people that are prospecting that have services where they'll maybe use your uh, website and give you some analysis in a little 90 second video as the, you know, the the value offer in order to generate a reply to set a 30 minute appointment where we can go deeper, these kinds of things. And so if you're going to truly personalize the video, you need to communicate that outside the video itself and in the thumbnail and the, we do an animated preview. We already automatically take the first three seconds and loop it for you. So it kind of comes to life a little bit. And that three seconds gives you the opportunity to do some fun or interesting or playful or customized elements as well.
0: I got to jump. My son's calling me and he's, uh was on a bike ride with friends. So, Scott, I'm going to let you handle from here. I'll come back in a second if I can. All right, man. Welcome, okay. to well, welcome to live recording.
2: Welcome to live recording. Best to him. <clears throat> um, how does – how does one differentiate themselves in your space right now? There, there are not to get like, I don't want to talk about why bomb bomb is better, but like I'm I'm this is I'm like a novice in this particular area. Okay. And so well, let's
1: start there. What do you think about it in general? Like what do you think about it?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that actually. Like I my buddy Morgan Ingram and I have had this conversation for like quite a while and you know he is like the biggest evangelist of video prospecting just in general and i i don't know for sure but maybe i started getting video messages like two years ago i would say um and i hated it i absolutely hated it i felt like it was an invasion of my privacy or something like who is this person speaking at me Thanks a lot, Richard. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to hack, hack that pieces a little bit, but like, I didn't, I didn't like it. I felt like somebody was invading my space and the video, I didn't think the videos were very well done. They were way too long back then. Right. And so my, my initial take was not a fan whatsoever. And now I've, I've found myself coming around. And I, the videos that I get are much shorter. Um, I think people are better. At, at delivering the videos. Um, I also am, I recognize fully, like all the other normal channels are so full and noisy now that this is a differentiator. Um, and I've gotten some really good things. So I've done a bit of a 180 to answer your question, Ethan.
1: Cool, I'm, I, I like that. And you're right, I mean, I've seen a lot of bad, that's one of the reasons I hate the kind of like the hot thing, right? I, I see a lot of people, treating it as a, a parlor trick or, you know, magic, something new and we'll burn it out and then we'll move on to the next thing. And it's, I do not see it that way. And it's one of the reasons that I think, you know, prospecting is obviously a good use case because one of your biggest challenges is generating the reply, building enough trust and rapport that someone's going to engage with you in a meaningful way, hopefully set an appointment, hopefully show up for the appointment, etc cetera. Uh, but really this cold situation to you're like who is this person they're invading my space they haven't communicated clearly enough they haven't targeted me well enough they don't know me but they're kind of acting like they know me they're showing up on my door like no one wants a a someone on their doorstep trying to sell them something. I had someone on my doorstep the other day trying to sell me solar. I'm interested in solar. We have a ton of sunshine in Colorado Springs. I have a south facing house. I'm actually kind of interested, but get off my doorstep. Get off, off my know? lawn. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I don't that's, I'm not, I I'm in the middle of my work day like whatever. So I get the, like the invasion feeling. It's really interesting. I did a survey uh toward mid to late fourth quarter last year and I was trying to get it yeah, I asked two questions and it was on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that BombBomb solves a major problem in your business? And then the follow-up question was a short form open field. um, In your own words, name or describe that problem. And uh, I love verbatim, like I love dealing with the words people choose, and especially the way they choose them to justify same thing with NPS, right? So someone will give you a seven, but you read the comment, and you're like, that actually reads like a 10, or someone gave you a seven, and that comment actually reads like a two, right? And so it was really interesting to get into this. But one of the themes I identified in particular, is that are the customers who've been with us the longest and gave us a nine or a 10. And some of these people have sent thousands and thousands of videos with us. They've been with us for five or six or seven years. And the difference, they were about the same in in the category bucket that I called, have people feel like they know me before they meet me, put a face with the name, essentially prospecting, whether they're responding to inbound opportunities with a video or they're actually actively outbounding with video into accounts. They were about the same as the population at large, but where the people who gave us a nine or a 10 separated themselves from the pack was in the warmer side of it to stay in front of my customers, to, you know, uh, to build stronger relationships within my database, to generate referrals, et cetera. And so I do like the prospecting case. I kind of hate that that's where the conversation started. And that's what's got like really hot, yeah. really fast, because I really do think post sale is a huge missed opportunity right now. And even um, mid funnel deep funnel where we're doing peer to peer stuff. My CTO's talking to your CTO because that's relevant to the conversation we're having and your CTO hasn't been in any of the meetings yet, although it's going to impact her or him. And so um, prospecting is, is a good use case for the differentiation, as you said, to generate replies.
2: So- is it, that's a really good point you make, though, about the sort of customer success side of things. The post-
1: Keeping warm relationships warmer. Staying, yeah. like So, So when I see you, it's like, ah, oh, there's Scott, right? It's yeah. not like, who's this dude in my inbox?
2: Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, I can see the use case for a video message. Hey, what's going on, Ethan? Haven't talked to you for, you know, a week and a half or so. Just want to make sure things are cool over there. You know, let me know if you want to take a look at some of the other stuff we've got going on. I mean, i I've never heard that use case before from the, from the CS side, but it makes a ton of sense. Uh, I mean,
1: why wait for the QBR when you can just drop a monthly update that you send to the main point person, but they can forward to anyone else it's relevant to?
2: Yeah. What about, here's another thing that got me, and actually, I still have no idea how to deal with this, to be perfectly honest with you. So, you send me a video message, okay? Which you did, actually, not too long ago. I think it was like when we, when we booked this. I don't know how to reply, I don't. I, I feel the same way when I get a LinkedIn audio message. I'm thinking, does that mean I have to leave a LinkedIn audio message back? Ethan sent me a video message. Do I have to send a video message back?
1: Oh, interesting, yeah.
2: It leaves me befuddled. I don't know how to reply. That's what, so funny, yeah. What, are so, to do? what What is like the rule? What is the polite thing to do here?
1: Right, it's, that is a, that what you're talking about is really kind of the cultural norm or the or like, how does how is this supposed to work? And that's what's so awkward in general about um finally getting some traction and this thing actually catching on and being used in more use cases is that it, it, it isn't there is no norm there yet. It is funny. I've never had anyone ask me that. I'll get replies that say like, that was awesome. Thank you for recording. Thank you for taking the time to send that video that, to me.
2: Is that a typed reply though?
1: Yes. And sometimes they'll add an emoji. This is something I see all the time and I hear from customers too is they'll get all caps replies They'll get a couple extra exclamation points or smiley faces. And they're trying to give back that positive energy that so you're conveying develop, in the video.
2: A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We do have in some instances, uh, apparently, not in the way that i sent that to you but in a lot of our instances when you send through our system or our platform people can reply back with their own videos There's just like a little reply with video button and we'll take over your webcam or smartphone
2: i might have had that but i you know
1: yeah To your your observation, Scott, there is no norm. It's super interesting. And no one has made that observation to me. It's interesting. I'm so deep in that that it's so easy to lose sight of those things. That's what's so fun about new communities and new groups of people um, opening up to the opportunity is that you get to revisit it again and say, oh, yeah, we do. We do have a long way to go to normalize this behavior and establish not just best practices for best results, but like what are the real implications here? What are the consequences, positive, negative, neutral?
2: And what are are the the best practices for the buyer in that particular process as well? Like, what if, if, I wonder if you could track data that showed, you know, somebody who gets your video, right? And types a response, sends a video back or records an audio response. And does that impact the closing process in some particular way, right? Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I don't maybe do you track that? Have you thought of that before?
1: Uh, we we have a lot of ideas, but man, we are a bootstrapped organization. We are running as fast as we can downhill and it's it's super fun and challenging and there's so many things like something I'm really excited about is the idea of treating the video itself as a piece of data and and doing those analyses so that we can get to some of these best practices. Does it make a difference if I'm if I'm framed as I am now? Or if I'm smaller and farther away, does it make a difference yeah. uh, if there are two people in the shot? What difference we, does gender make? What difference does you know? What and difference we don't know, does we don't
2: know any of those things right now?
1: Correct. Pace of speech. I kind of I tend to get excited and speak pretty quickly. Um, what does, does pace pace of speech do? What does the amount of eye contact do? What does the amount of smiling do?
2: What about the does the time of day you send a video message matter?
1: That, now that is something we could probably unearth. I mean, when I've done this, these analyses on email um, and I'm doing kind of like meta, um, some of our own data, but also, you know, companies like MailChimp that send, you know, massive, massive, massive. Whenever you Whenever you look at that and you round up the findings, they're all contradictory. It's so yeah. funny. It's so, now, if we were talking specifically about B2B, BDRs, at SaaS companies and yeah. immediately related, then there is some level of, of repeatability there where you could probably make some
2: but what would be what would be a best practice? Because I'm I'm only, you know, I'm eight, nine months removed now from being a, a head of sales at a, a software company, right? I had a team of Jesus, of 75 people maybe underneath me, at least probably all of them to be honest with you. There's a use case for for using video. Um, But in my, in my role, let's say, you know, you guys are trying to prospect me and and get me to get me to buy or Vidyard is, or, you know, everybody else loom who's coming after me. What, when do you, when do you send it? Like, if you, if you send that in the middle of the day, is, is it going to be, is the response rate going to be better? If you send it at night, is it going to be better? Is what about a, a weekend for some executives who are checking things on the weekend? Like. I don't know any of this information. Now I know that as far as phone goes, I know that unequivocally as far as LinkedIn goes. And and I think I know it about email, but you know, not, uh, not on video. So I wonder, I wonder what that looks like. It's just more of that best practice stuff you're talking about.
1: Totally. And I don't have that data either. I would guess that it would be channel dependent and I would guess, I would guess that it conforms approximately to, when is the best time to send a LinkedIn message? When's the best time to send an email? When's the best time to uh, send a, a, make a phone call or whatever? I would guess that it would correspond uh, to the channel that you're sending. in. so if you're sending an email, it would probably approximately correspond. It does have some other baggage too. I mean, if I get a video email from you in the middle of a meeting, yeah. even if I'm on zoom, I'm not going to listen to that. So that, I mean, that becomes a, um, I got, I saw that the email got open, but the video hasn't got played. And so there's some follow-up strategies and we talk about some of that in the book, how to follow up based on what people have done and not done. As for a particular time of day, I don't have that data, but I would be shocked if it didn't conform in general to, you know, open rates or, or best reply rates and text messages or LinkedIn messages or emails or whatever.
2: Now, now here's, I don't remember where I, I don't remember who said this, but I think I just saw this question like a day or two ago. Um, Somebody was asking if video is the rage right now, what comes next? And and it was was more of like, well, what's the evolution of video and sales? And then is there a future kind of beyond that? I'm sure you guys spend some amount of time thinking about, this stuff, right? How do we evolve our platform? Where is prospecting going to go? Right. And is there, is there something out there that we haven't even thought about yet? So you guys, you know, in my opinion, you're way ahead of the curve doing this nine years ago, right? Nobody, <laughs> I never heard of video prospecting nine years ago at all. So what, what is your, what is your take on that? How will this continue to evolve? What will the conversation around video be, summer of twenty twenty one or summer of twenty
1: twenty two? It's interesting. I see it blending. What a couple of things need to happen. One, it needs to be more um, accepted, understood tested verified in a variety of environments and again across the entire customer life cycle but to stick in the sales conversation you know i think what happens is a lot of people jump on a webinar or they follow someone like morgan who is who is already done a lot of experimentation and had some successes and is getting some traction and they get excited about it. And then they go to try to implement it. And then they face all like the the normal human challenges, right? It's one thing to hear a conversation like this and get excited and light up a free trial of one or more services and maybe even take a demo. But there's a gap between, and it's one of the reasons I wrote that video adoption guide is there's a gap between I buy the premise of it. I have three or four use cases in mind. I know a couple people doing it successfully and I can actually do this and I can get my team on board to do this and that kind of a thing. So that, I mean, that, that is, that's round one and we're not nearly at mass adoption. We're st- like, I, I,
2: very, very early still, like we were talking about before. Totally.
1: Like on the traditional adoption curve, we're still in, easily yeah. still in the early adopter phase. So that needs to grow a little bit more. We need to, do need to get, establish some more norms around it. We have our own teachings um, and best practices, but there, I mean, those continue to evolve daily as well. The next thing that's going to happen is that it needs to blend more into the tech stack so that it's not this kind of other thing. And that's why it's good to see companies like, like us and Vidyard and other companies integrating within platforms and systems people are already using. I think that's a very positive step so that the motion itself is, again, uh, relatively seamless and that the data that, that the video sending is generating is going to where it needs to go. Um, and then beyond that, I think there's going to be, I mean, just like any kind of school of thought that breaks into factions you're gonna see this um, in companies and their offerings. Like we will kind of veer off in our own way at some point. I don't exactly know where that's gonna go, although I'll speak to one idea around that in a minute. So you're going to get more competitors. There's a hell of a lot more competitors in the space today than there were just two or three years ago. And uh, and even someone like Vidyard came as kind of in a way down market toward this multi-seed opportunity from what seemed more like a kind of a, a higher level marketing play where you might sell to a CMO like when they first hit the scene. And so you're going to see some of that movement happening. And then uh, we're going to continue to get more nuanced about the uses, about the use cases, about the specialty, about where you plug into the tech stack, about who's using it most effectively. And so you're going to see like some some companies are treating the video play page kind of like A a really blown out landing page where you can load up a bunch of other content to interact with under the video whereas other people are um, you know we treat the video play page as an opportunity to respond and interact to you so you can click your logo and go to the website you can like it you can comment on it you can reply back with your own video um, you can click a clickable CTA over the video and so like those nuances are gonna start to be treated differently and we'll see that evolve so I could say and there are companies out there now and then I'll give it back to you There are companies out there now that will allow you to string a whole series of videos together and kind of like a choose your own adventure, chaptered video journey through a, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's not, I mean, we're primarily about this kind of lighter weight, quick, easy, fast, Hey, dude, I appreciate you. Hey, here's the update. Hey, here are the details on the contract. Hey, I wanted to follow up. Last time we talked XYZ, we're very pro human. Uh, I think we will see kind of deep fake style. I mean, deep fake, of course, has negative connotations because it's generally used in a nefarious way. Um, but I'll use it to say, you know, acting as if a person recorded this video for you. Um, We're not really about that. We are like pretty pro-human and we want this kind of lightweight, authentic, honest communication. But you'll see some variations where you can act like you're actually being personal with people.
2: The the in-video CTA stuff is like super interesting. Like I'm imagining this video from you right now and you're like, hey, Here's that contract that I was going to send over and you like hold your hand up and the image of the contract is there and I click on that and boom, it opens.
1: Dude, video. yeah. So like a blend right. of like VR type right. in the video. Totally. It's yeah. all going it's it's to totally happen contract,
2: fast. Contract, uh, you know, kind of opens up. Here's something that I've been thinking about and I've been thinking about it mostly around email because, you know, everybody's been trying to say email is dead. For years, for probably for like 15 years now, and then you know there's this company um, called Hey that's out there now where you have to like you can't send an email to somebody unless they've approved you or something like that. Can you see a world where a prospect like me or an executive like me, for example, signs up and somehow gets paid to accept video messages? like what would you pay to hit a VP of sales up? Like a dollar, you know, a dollar a video that you send, $5. A a
1: dollar, it better be a dollar a second. <laughs>
2: whatever, 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 whatever the number is, right? Some number. But the, but the rub of it is like by me signing up and agreeing to this, like I'm agreeing to get prospected. I'm agreeing to watch all these videos and there's some sort of verification that has to take place. I'm not a tech guy to figure it out, right? But like, So it's like a guaranteed delivery mechanism. Right. Yeah. And that would, that would on some level filter me out from having to deal with all the other, you know, all the other channels that like, uh, you know, just bombard me all day long. And then I can monetize it. I monetize getting pitched. Do you think that we'll ever get to that, that place?
1: That's really interesting. Honestly, no joke. What it makes me think about is that uh, I went down to Cancun years ago and got suckered into like a free breakfast scenario, you know, like the the timeshare pitch. And so it's like oh, yeah. we're already doing those kinds of things. I can see that for sure. I definitely think that um, – some level of authentication and acceptance like a, we're not even going to show you anything. We're not going to deliver it properly properly to your inbox until you give it some level of approval. I can definitely see it going that way. I can definitely see... I don't know whether it's machine learning or AI that's going to be judging past interactions with emails. Now, I'm stepping a little bit outside the bounds of cold prospecting. But, you know, if I sent you, Scott, six video emails and you opened four of them and watched three of the videos, one of them you watched twice and you clicked a couple of my links um, – but I sent six video emails to Richard and he only opened one of them and he never played the video and he never clicked any of my links. My ability to reach Richard in the future, this is already happening. And I I don't know how it'll manifest. The crude version, of course, is the Gmail tabbing where the nature of the video, or sorry, the nature of the email itself, video or not, gets dumped into one of these big slots. It's less crude than inbox or spam. But I think people's interaction is going to increasingly affect where and when and how the message gets delivered and I think some of it might sit behind a
2: it's like the the LinkedIn uh LinkedIn jail if you send enough you know connection requests that uh don't reply or say they don't know you or whatever like you get you get paused totally x amount of time right yeah
1: totally because these platforms want it to be good for the user I mean they want to prevent uh abusive behavior and so um, not that that's necessarily abusive, but you know, we're, we're early enough in it. I will say my credit card does a good job of detecting fraud and it's, you know, there's no, no human watching the transactions. Just alert says this account, these transactions text him.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Richard has, has rejoined us right at the, the end. We are, uh, just about to wrap up here, Richard. This is usually the part of the show, Ethan, where, uh, we've turned it around to you and, and say, how can we be helpful to you? You know, is there anything that any questions you have for us or anything you want to kind of, you know, talk about that you're, you're working on or events that you're, you're doing or anything like that?
1: Um, well, a couple things. First, uh, I have a son who is entering a senior year of high school and uh, there is some level of interest in schools that you both attended. So offline, any pitching on ASU or Arizona, I'm totally Uh-oh. open to. Yes, We've actually definitely. aborted two trips to visit because of the virus. We've aborted two trips to go down there and check out both schools. But
2: um, what, we so- should have, what we should have done is got your son on here and had a live recorded debate. Yeah, U A versus ASU, and he would have like, to. He would. He go would have get him right to. He'd have, he'd have to go get him. Yeah, he'd have to put the hat on like a like signing day, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs>
1: yeah, based exclusively on your feedback.
2: That's right. That's right. That's the only criteria that matters.
1: Yeah, so I welcome any communication around that. I'd be happy to do a book exchange. I would definitely read addicted to the process. I'd be happy to send you rehumanize, and uh, you. Yeah. you know if if either of you guys is up for it i would love i mean I really respect uh the experience and work that you guys do i've seen you both uh in other settings on webinars and things like if either of you is up for a one on one um just to kind of i I would love that that'd be fun and Cool. And to the degree you guys um, see a vision for video across the life cycle uh, in particular, not just in prospecting. I mean, you guys have a good platform. You're talking with a lot of people. Just keeping the pulse on what's going on there. And to the degree that you see it as a benefit, again, my whole motivation for writing a book that no one was asking for is I want people sending videos and it's not a thing. It's not a thing we're talking about. It's not a tactic. No one, I mean, we talk about phone strategy. We talk about email strategy. We talk about LinkedIn strategy, but I want video to be in there just kind of normalized in the mix. And so if you guys see opportunities, you know, uh, share that. And if you're feeling some trends or, uh, resistance or new objections or new cool stories i welcome those too i've got a bunch more i could have shared but here we are at the end of our time together and i appreciate it
0: well you may get to come back sooner than later because i'm not sure i got the middle part so we'll see how okay. it went over so.
1: <laughs> pretty good you're gonna need to make an edit in the middle
0: yeah Yeah, we'll just throw it together.
2: Yeah, (laughs) just duct tape it together, Richard. Totally,
1: and that's what I said before we recorded. Man, this is unpretentious, straight up conversations with lots of different people, and it's it's great.
2: Well, thanks a lot for spending some time with us, with with us, Ethan. It was uh, it was great, man. I really enjoyed it.
1: Cool, man. Me too.